This podcast produced by Van Garrett Media. Traffic timing the lights. Why is it so hard? We'll ask Rob White of the Utah Department of Transportation. He's their operations director. That's today on Inside Salt Lake. My name is Jim DeBacchus. This is Jim DeBacchus Inside Salt Lake. It's more frustrating than any of us can imagine. You're going down 7th East or 13th or 4th South and every single light is red. And you speed up a little bit and it's red and you slow down a little bit and it's red and you think there has to be somebody watching my car trying to make me stop at every light. And I know that's not true. And I know there's a whole science here and I know that a lot of times it works too. So we decided to track down the guy from the Utah Department of Transportation, who's the guy who's pushing every button in every red light in the state, and if they're not doing, uh, if they're not synchronized the way you want, it is Rob White's um, dominion there. Rob, first of all, thanks so much for coming. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Okay, so uh, clearly that's not how this all works, um, but there is a science, and we we do really work to time lights. Correct. Uh, we have one of the things that we do that's unique here in Utah that uh, is probably the envy of the most of the country is the ability we have them all connected, and we have them connected to a central system that allows us to monitor and fix those lights if they are in you know if they are not functioning properly or there's some particular problem and one of the things i would like to encourage if people do have a particular signal or a corridor that they they feel is not timed properly please give us a call Uh, we we look at this from time to time and we're monitoring it but we have thousands of signals throughout the state that we monitor and so uh, is that in every city in every every city every city stoplight in the state of utah every county and every state stoplight you can push a button with we're we're about 92 percent statewide so every signal throughout the state about 92 percent of those we have the ability to control from a central system and we can monitor those and, and, and check the progress of them. And if there's problems with them, we can look and see what's been going on. And we have a history of that that we can look at. And so if there's a BYU football game or if there's a concert uh, or if there's some kind of, you know, a, a lot of people are coming, do you kind of take that all into effect and you have like a planning meeting and you go, okay, we're going to do this. Absolutely. We do that for big events. We do that for youth football games, for jazz games, for the BYU games. A lot of, uh, a lot of that planning goes in in front of that. And after, after you do it for a few times, you you pretty much know which signals are going to get the traffic and how to adjust those signals to clear events quickly and fill events quickly. So folks coming in and out of the parking lots will, uh, will be able to do that. And in some cases we turn, we will turn one particular direction green uh, for for several minutes to unload parking lots to or to load parking lots. So we work closely with the universities, with the jazz organization, uh, to to deal with special event traffic. Would it be possible to slow down traffic lights at Republican areas on voting day? Or... <laughs> okay, all right, we'll let that one go. Um, 
what is so hard? Why why don't we just zip through um, every single uh, stoplight? Why why aren't you just mathematically making it so we just never have to stop? Well, I've I've often I'm, I'm not a traffic signal engineer by training, and uh, so I'm coming into here and I'm, I'm I've been learning a lot over the past couple of years, and I thought the exact same thing is what's so hard about this. And, and so I started asking our signal engineers and our folks that, that work in this area, and they explained to me quite a bit about what goes on and how, how, and all the different factors that you have to take into account. When you're looking at a typical signal plan over, a, for example, say downtown Salt Lake City, you've not only got the direction you're traveling, you've got the direction that's opposing, plus all the cross streets, there's two directions going, plus you've got PEDS, you've got... Uh, You've got transit, which has signal uh, priority in a lot of cases for the light rail. And so there, it's, it, it, it actually comes to be quite a, quite a challenge to coordinate all those signals and make sure that, they're, that you're getting the most green time you possibly can. One of the measures that we use is arrivals on green, which we try to maximize how many times you get to it. You, you don't even have to stop. You can come right through. And when signals are spaced... I do that with stop signs. That's <laughs> different. <laughs> when signals are spaced at a certain, uh, say, a quarter mile or longer, it, you, it's, it's easier to do that in downtown Salt Lake where, where you've got a signal at almost in, in, a lot of, in a lot of the business district, you've got a signal at every block. That's a much harder much harder role to, to, to accomplish. So there could be there could be a dozen different ingredients to throw into the formula that that just seems when you're driving there should be one thing, which is right. all those lights in front of me need to be green. Right. But you're not thinking about all those cross streets and this and a, a lot of other factors. That and you've got to make there. sure you have enough time for those pets to get across because safety is, is obviously a big part of what we're looking at. You know, they'll learn. I mean, you know, you speed them up, it doesn't take them long to pick that up. Um, oh, for sure. Do we have special issues because our streets are so much bigger than yes. the norm? Yes, it, it is. You know, most downtown areas, the, the streets are not near as wide. And this goes back, and I'm sure you've heard the story of what Brigham Young wanted to, to be able to turn an ox team around in the street without hearing profanity. Is what is that's that's how the legend goes, and I, you know, I I haven't verified that exactly, but I, I've heard that over and over again. And so it does take a lot longer to clear the pedestrians and get them across the street than in in typical downtown areas. So. There there is that issue, but if you've been to Boston or Philadelphia or, or parts of New York where the streets were designed in the 1770s. I mean, it's 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 remarkable those cities even function. Well, there's a couple of things that that some of the eastern cities, and I was just in New York a few weeks ago. Um, they have one-way streets, and um, that makes the the coordination of signals much easier to handle because you don't you don't have quite as many variables that you're talking about of, of trying to meet, and so you have the ability to to coordinate those much easier. And so even though uh, I, I wouldn't compare our traffic to New York City or Boston traffic, um, it, you know, they've got a system that's a little bit different than ours and, and with the ability to uh, have their major thoroughfares maybe a single direction, have one way, one way downtown. So. London has, um, for several years now, in their central business district, they have an automatic pay system. So if you, like I did, just wander in there in a rental car by mistake, suddenly it's it's quite a sizable fee you have to pay just to drive in there. And I suppose it's had a dramatic effect on the amount of traffic in that central district. New York, I 
think I saw is going to try this. Yes, yeah, New York. New York's work looking at it. London's been doing it, like you say, for several years. And the idea is to use market forces to reduce congestion in the downtown areas. Um, it's something we're aware of. Uh, we use that same principle on our express lane on the freeway. We try to keep people going in and out depending on how high we raise that price. And that's the same general idea is, is will people stay in there if you raise the price? Typically, no. They'll maybe hop out and that will clear that lane and, and, and allow carpoolers and those that are paying a little bit uh, faster commute. Um, that that we, we haven't really discussed implementing that anywhere here in Utah as far as the similar to London or, or New York, but I, I think it has some it has some promise to help congestion, uh, especially in, in business districts like downtown Salt Lake City. The Kim Gardner Institute is out with a study that that looking at the population along the Wasatch Front says that in the lifetime of our children and certainly our grandchildren the population is going to increase by 80%, 80%. It just means we're going to double the number of cars, we're going to double the number of buildings, we're going to double the number of everything. What are we going to do? How It's already congested now. What's going to happen to the Wasatch Front? Well, I don't think we can continue to uh, attack the problem the same way we have in the in the past. We've got to think of new and better solutions. The congestion pricing that we just talked about is is one of those you know tools for for lack of a better term. The other thing is we get we've got to have other modes become more uh, more prevalent. Uh, we we can't continue to um, have one person in one car. Uh, that mentality. We've got to look at transit. We've got to look at different ways of operating our system. We've got to uh, look at bicycling, uh, cycling, ped, ped walking to work, those things. And so there's, I, I, we've got to look at different ways. We can't just double the number of cars. We can't just double the number of, of lanes on I-15 and expect that that's going to solve the problem. We've got, to, we've got to look at innovative ways and different ways to solve that problem than we're currently looking at now. Are we finished on I-15? Can we fit more lanes in there? Um, we, that's a good question, and I, I think it becomes less and less effective with the more lanes you add on to a facility that's that large. Um, it, it becomes a, a, a diminishing returns. And, and in, in the Salt Lake Valley, uh, we've got to look at different ways to, to handle traffic. We're looking at a couple things like what they do in Melbourne, Australia, which is called the managed motorways, where they, um, where, where they try to keep the main line going, going all the times and, and have people wait at the ramps. Because you'll notice most of the slowdown on I-15 is when you're coming in at the ramps. Mm. And if you can meter that back and, and, and manage that main line, uh, at a certain speed, then uh, they've been very successful in Melbourne. That's one of the things we we're looking at. We have that a little bit, don't we? Uh, we I mean, sometimes when you're going yes. on a ramp and you yes. wait for the red light, um, why do we have any traffic um, delays on the main freeway if we can control the people that are going we, on? We do. The, 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 the freeway ramps are not constructed to hold as many vehicles as would need, be needed to do what you're talking about and keep that main line flowing. They'd be backing into cities. And, <laughs> well, and that's know, one of the things we're, we're looking at. And it's something we're studying. It's not currently uh, something we've got in the works per se, but it's something we're looking at. It's been very successful down there. And so that's one of the solutions that we're looking at to attack the problem of you know 80% uh, population growth in the state of Utah. When Utah Department of Transportation, which I found in six years of being on Capitol Hill to be as good an operation, and uh, Carlos Bergera is the director, these are, this is just 
professional people with the Max. It's, it was always just a pleasure to work with you guys. Not so with some other departments. You want to know which ones? <laughs> That's okay. Uh, okay. All right. Um, I, what what do you see as your role? Is it to get cars here or there, or do you see you're just as much about mass transit and about other things, uh, or do you have a bias institutionally? Are you supposed to be the kind of Department of Motor Vehicles? moving around? I mean, I actually don't know the answer to that. I think the answer to that is we're, we're about moving people. It's about moving people. And uh, it's something that I think since definitely since Carlos has been here, but even before that, we started to recognize that uh, we can't build our way out of congestion. We need to have, we need to work on getting people from point A to point B. Um, and and that, that may invo involve cars, but it also needs to include transit. It needs to include other aspects that we maybe haven't, haven't focused on before. But I think, you know, some of the things that have done in, been done in the last couple of legislative sessions have, have kind of pointed us to that we need to coordinate much more with our, our partners over at UTA to make sure that uh, we're, we're, we're helping them be successful also. Rob White is UDOT's operations director. He's the guy that runs the lights. And I'm going to give you his home phone number, so <laughs> and you're stuck. <laughs> Rob, thank you so much. This has really been uh, fascinating. You're welcome. This podcast produced by Van Garrett Media.